Hello and welcome back to another IDC Tech Talk podcast. I am your host, Miles Dawson, and today we are revisiting the world of security, particularly unified security. And to help us out with this, I'm very pleased to welcome Dominic Trott to the podcast. Hello, Dominic. Hello, Miles. Um, Dom, I wonder if you can give us a quick run through of your role and coverage at IDC, please. Yes, certainly. So my name is Dominic Trott. I am the Associate Research Director for IDC's Western European Security Research Team. Uh, Across our team, we cover security in the sense of services, software and appliances. Uh, I have to have a finger in each of those pies and more besides, but people probably know me best for my work across areas such as managed security services, identity and access management and endpoint protection. Fantastic. So is it just you? You've got some team members as well? Thankfully, it's not just me. I have a great (laughs) team that that, uh, we all come together and hopefully make perfect harmony. Brilliant. So thank you for that overview. Um, Let's take a high-level view to begin and ask you, what is unified security and and how is it different to the way that organizations usually talk about managing this? Okay, sure. Well, first things first, it's one of my pet topics within the the security field altogether Mm -hmm. uh, for a number of different reasons, Uh, a couple of ones in particular. So first of all, it's something that is driven by the buyer. So it's what uh, security users and buyers want. It's not driven by the the tech vendors themselves. Mm -hmm. And also because it fits in with IDC security teams' um, perception or our kind of philosophy of the need for security that, that works in tandem with and enables the business Um, which hasn't always been the case. So let me kind of take you through a a very brief potted history of security. (laughs) So I'm a technology analyst and and perhaps security is one of the most techie topics there is in in the uh, IT analyst field. But um, perhaps our future is not in that direction. So where in the past we come from a position where um, a new security threat vector emerges. Uh, it could be something like uh, ransomware, for example, or a new piece of technology or capability from vendors. So it might be things like um, non-signature based security products. That tends to result in a new point solution being released to the market, which customers are then encouraged to buy because if you want to be covering all of the security needs, you need this next new shiny piece of technology. The problem being, in the past couple of years or so, there's been a realisation that actually we've got so many different point solutions that make up our overall security environment that actually we can't make sense of it all now. It's too complicated. So we have a um, a CISO panel programme, CISO being Chief Information Security Officer, that we speak to on a regular basis, so monthly hangout calls, that kind of thing. And uh, if I had a penny for every time one of those uh, guys and gals said to me that um, the biggest problem for me or the biggest challenge, the biggest threat is my own security environment, it's too complicated. Yeah, there are too many widgets that do one thing. I wouldn't be a rich man, but I'd certainly have at least a a pound if I had a penny for every time somebody mentioned that. Mm. Um, So this is the problem. It's too much complexity. And unified security is a really interesting answer because, as I said, it's something that comes from the buyer. What they want is to cut through that complexity. What they want is something that makes it simpler, uh, more easy to interpret, easy to use, easy to act upon, and and easy to buy as well. Mm. Um, This is something we've been hearing for a couple of years, and and it's kind of in, in tandem with security professionals and CISOs, security leaders in particular, thinking about how can we be not just 
the, the deep technology experts, but how can we actually be more relevant to the business? At the same time, we've seen this switch from um, wanting to go down a, a very complex bed of point solutions towards uh, a more unified, easier to interpret, and therefore perhaps easier to express business benefits type environment. So we decided to, to test this. We did some survey work recently, having heard anecdotally the demand for unified security uh, of what is it that's actually driving why and how you buy products where traditionally it's been a case of what's the most technically effective solution or what's the most cost effective solution or a combination um, we added into the mix this sort of idea of unified security and it turns out that although it's close across the three um, spend drivers it's that question of unified security that is really making decisions happen so um, at the risk of having gone on a bit too long there is what is unified security and how is it a bit different <laughs> absolutely that's a fantastic overview so let me let me bring it down to the organizational level and ask you what impact will this have for an organization if they choose to pursue this strategy well the first one i'd pick out is around the issue of the skills shortage so you're probably mm. familiar with the fact that the the demand for resources within security is outstripping by a considerable degree the level of availability uh, perhaps some might cheekily say that this isn't so much a skills shortage as an automation shortage. Mm. There are solutions out there that can help people to go about this challenge. But the point being, we can't continue doing things the way that we have been. Therefore, we need to change. Unified security can help us to affect this change. So if we're, as I, I, I picked it out before, in sort of the move from point solutions towards a more unified platform view mm. of security, uh, it all of a sudden means that the hard work of integrating the different solutions in order to gain an idea of what, what is my organization's holistic security posture, that becomes much simpler. We don't have to, as security professionals, ourselves take the time integrating or take the time and money paying a, a third-party professional services provider to integrate these solutions together for us. It happens naturally, or at least to a certain degree. We get taken down a certain degree of the path towards that unified vision. What this means is there's a couple of different angles. First and foremost, perhaps uh, in some people's minds, is the cost element. So if we're buying less stuff, there are less different things to manage. Therefore, we're spending less time and effort on supplier management, less time and effort on integration. There's a cost benefit to that. Mm. Uh, the second, and I would argue perhaps the, the more powerful outcome, is the, the impact in terms of utilisation of our security team, our in-house resources. As mm. I mentioned, these are scarce, they're valuable. Um, you're, you're, you're paying a lot for them and are paying a lot to retain them. Therefore, if we can maximise what they're up to, if we're moving beyond, um, to be blunt, the grunt work of swivelling, so we get this term of swivel chair between the different um, portals of the different solutions, if we can make that job easier, um, then we're spending less time running around doing the boring, repeatable work. That becomes automated. Mm -hmm. We can focus on more high value and, and more rewarding uh, and exciting activities, things like threat hunting, um, uh, incident response, vulnerability management, that mean that our, we're getting more value out of our, our security personnel and also uh, are able to better retain them because they're for being able to, to focus mm -hmm. on more exciting activities. 
Mm, absolutely. So it's the same value add you get from an automation kind of strategy, isn't it? Where you're not kind of getting rid of people as such, but you're you're utilizing them in a more effective manner. Exactly. And in yeah. fact, there's another layer beyond that because we talk about um, the need to not just automate tasks mm. in security and in fact in IT and, and technology and business in general, but actually the need to then be able to um, integrate and orchestrate those tasks. So you're not having... Uh, several slices of slight improvement, but mm-hmm. you're stitching those slices together on an end-to-end basis to have a full process impact, which will have even greater business ramifications on the positive. Mm, absolutely. So are you seeing this um, having any particular impact or um, effectiveness in any particular industry or uh, company size? This is an, uh, an, an interesting point because security is actually perhaps the greatest example of, of a horizontal topic than mm. technology technology beg your pardon i like to say that i'm interested in all technology and business because security is in everything mm. and if you think it's not you're wrong because it should be that's mm-hmm. i'm a security analyst so yeah. it's in my interest but hopefully you take my point um so rather than there being uh, a particular market or country or industry or company size band actually i'd say it's more a point of where do you sit on the maturity curve towards achieving this um, this desired business outcome. So we tend to see that um, in terms of, from a, a geography perspective, there's a very um, classical uh, wave of maturity. So we tend to see things emerging in the US, probably on the West Coast, then hitting the East Coast, and then into Western Europe, probably via the UK. So the UK tends to be the, the most mature, therefore the, the largest and most influential security market within Europe and then spreading out from there to to Germany and to France and the Nordics and Benelux and then on to the southern European geographies and into Eastern Europe and beyond. Um, You then look at things from an industry perspective and we see that, again, security is everywhere, but there are some industries that have um, more assets and value to protect than others. Hmm. So um, it's probably not a hard equation to make, and it's the same one that threat actors are faced with, but where's the value and asset that needs to be protected? It tends to be in areas such as uh, financial services, uh, in certain elements of government, so things like the military and the spooky bits of government and some of the central government departments are quite mature. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the other end of the scale, we have um, organisations such as retail, where profits are, are so wafer thin that it's all about how can we reduce cost and perhaps Mm. security hasn't cropped up at the top of their priority list where arguably actually perhaps it should do if you think about risk and and, uh, reward uh, Mm. equations and unfortunately we also see organizations such as uh, education and health so you may well be familiar with the the WannaCry uh, ransomware outbreak. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, they hit the NHS. Indeed, so on this this point of making a risk reward uh, decision um, the the, 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 uh, the government decided that it wasn't worth the cost of continuing to pay for support for Windows 7, therefore continuing um, uh, with a, a, a system that is that has vulnerabilities, mm. which were then exploited by the WannaCry ransomware, and you end up with a situation where what could have been maybe a cost of tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds for continuing support uh, stretches into, I, I don't know how much, if you add up the cost of the... the uh, uh, hospital appointments and surgeries being cancelled, um, people potentially dying as a result of that. How do you put a price on a human life? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you take a looking at taking a risk based decision, I, I would say they probably got that one wrong. But hopefully, we'll see the situation change and we'll learn from that going forwards. 
And then I suppose the other, the final angle to look at here is on a company size basis. So again, who has the, the, the most value on assets to protect? It tends to be the larger enterprises. But it's perhaps um, a, a, an easy but, but um, uh, incorrect step to say that the smaller organisations are less mature. They're, they're not making smart risk-based decisions. Actually, we've got evidence to see this is on the contrary. It's just they have slightly more uh, pressing demands. So that I talked about the skills shortage. That's even more acute within smaller organisations where people are probably doubling up responsibilities. If they have a security person at all, then they're perhaps also the IT person, for example. Mm. Uh, so they, they tend to take decisions more based on what makes best sense for, for being able to be fast and flexible in terms of making business decisions. Perhaps in the past, it's been the case that security is perceived as being a drag on the business for them, and they want to focus on security getting out of the way. So we actually see some cases where they actively decide not to invest in security because it's seen as slowing them down. But it's based on a, a, a definite rationale. It's not due to a, a lack of maturity. It's based on where does the, the balance lie in that risk-reward equation. I suppose the the added benefit for a smaller organisation, they tend to be younger organisations, which means they can build their security ecosystem from the ground up. They haven't got archaic old systems to swap out and manage. So I suppose that's an added benefit as well. So they can sort of <laughs> skip to the end, I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, they can... so rather than having building up these these uh, over a period of a number of years these complicated point solution based complicated environments mm. they can maybe start at the point with what makes sense for them mm. of course first uh, you, you you can't all of a sudden afford to, to invest in the the most um, high tech or, or cutting edge state of the art security mm. approach because well what is state of the art for you i suppose is the question and therefore you've got to think about what is the, the affordability? What are the regulatory pressures for me? Uh, what is my scale? What is my bandwidth availability? Uh, all things to consider. But yes, you're quite right. Mm, fantastic. So just to finish up then, so what recommendations would you give if an organisation was listening to this and they were thinking, I, I might start looking into this unified security strategy? What would you say to them? Well, the first thing I'd suggest is trying to understand what exactly is your security supply chain because uh, as we found in our research, there tends to be a large number in there. Then, once you understand what's in place, you can start thinking about what are the areas where I've got gaps in coverage I need to think about bringing something in or expanding something. But equally, where have I got those areas of overlap where, because I've got this complicated tangle of products, actually, I'm paying twice or, or potentially even more for the same coverage that I'm getting from multiple different providers. That can be an easy first step of where do I rationalise. Um, then you can think about things like... Um, Am, am I ready to start externalizing uh, security capability? Mm. So one of the, the, the outcomes of the security skills shortage and perhaps a natural um, uh, evolution or outcome of the, the, the unified security I mentioned, how can I work with services providers to, to deal with this complexity for me? Um, where is the, the kind of the, the, the line in the sand that I want to con the, these areas retain visibility and control in-house? And where does it make sense to perhaps take advantage of the um, global scale or um, unique capability that a third-party specialist can bring into the equation? Uh, you can also think about um, how can I uh, take advantage of this unified security approach to, as I said, have a, a, a beneficial impact on my staff. So, okay, I've got this extra availability, what am I going to do with that? Mm. How can I point them towards higher value activities rather than getting uh, dragged back down into the weeds and doing this repeatable, um, industrialisable 
activities. So how can I um, help to attract and retain good staff by being able to, to point them towards the higher value and more exciting activities? Um, I could probably go on for about an hour on this topic, but that's probably enough for now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, but people can always give you a quick tweet if they want to hear more, right? Yes, if you want to, to hit me up on Twitter, then my handle is at Dominic Trot, D-O-M-I-N-I-C-T-R-O-T-T. Fantastic. Um, so thank you very much, Dominic. I think that is all we have time for, unfortunately, although I'm sure you and I could sit here for hours, as you said, talking more about this. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and wherever else you'd like to enjoy podcasts. So you can join us next time when we'll be discussing another issue affecting the technology industry across Europe. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter as well. We're at IDC underscore Amir. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Just look for us there under IDC. Thank you all very much and see you next time. Thank you all. Thank you for your attention and cheers, Miles. Thank you.